More than ever, we are in need to share the gospel. And Church at the Mill can't wait to do that with you in this podcast series, where we talk about who we are as a church and what we value. Join us for this spiritual and financial journey more than ever. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to our More Than Ever podcast. This is a series of podcasts we've chosen to do this fall at Church at the Mill for really two groups of people, for people in our church who are connected with our church. But our hope is is that some of you are not, that someone shared this or recommended it, and you're interested in finding out more about our church, if for nothing else, then to just be encouraged by some of the subjects we're talking about. And we're really leaving no uh, rock unturned. We're talking about all things church and church at the mill because this is a time in the history of our church where we're really recasting our vision. It's a big transition period for us. God has blessed us with an immense amount of growth. And I don't just mean numerically, a lot of spiritual growth. And so we're on this journey called More Than Ever to really challenge our church to step out and to expand well beyond uh, the borders of our own campus. And so we are going down the path to a very important day where families will make spiritual commitments, financial commitments, and certainly commitments of their time. And in doing that, we just wanted to take an opportunity to have a conversation about our DNA And so throughout the series, we will be talking about our vision of who we are and what we want to be. We've articulated it that more than anything, we want to be a deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful, multi-site church. And that means we value some things, and we value these characteristics that we see in the New Testament, and we value the Word of God in preaching. We value the gospel of God above everything. We value the mission of God to the nations. We value the, we value the legacy of God to the next generation. We value the love of God in authentic community. We value the growth of God in us. And when we think about all these values, we thought it was important to take some time to remember where we've been. And so we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about the history of Church at the Mill. And to do that, I found the two oldest guys that would call me back. Uh, Actually, I'm joined today by a member of my team. Gene Pace is our senior adult pastor and one of his parishioners, one of our senior adults. I'm just joking. But uh, one of my elders here, uh, David Bullington. David, introduce yourself. Tell us how long you've been at Church at the Mill. Okay, Pastor. I'm David Bullington. Uh, our family came to what was then Anderson Mill Road Baptist Church. That's right. Uh, one of the very first Sundays they had moved from Reverend Loudermilk's home to the West Oak Square Shopping Center. Uh, so we came to church at a shopping center. And that would have been 1988? 88, yeah. 1988. That's the year that it started. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you pointing out that uh, for those of you that are new, mm-hmm. it, it, it was and still is legally Anderson Mill Road Baptist Church. My joke is, what a great name from a standpoint of letting us know where the church is located, because we are on a county road called Anderson Mill Road, but we couldn't afford a billboard to put all that on. Anderson (laughs) Mill Road Baptist Church. It was a pretty cool uh, beginning. All right, Gene, introduce yourself. Okay, I'm Gene Pace. I have the privilege of being the senior adult pastor here at Church at the Mill for the last three and a half years. It's the best job I've ever had. I don't even call it a job for that matter. But uh, my family and I came to this church in early 2000 yep. when we were still meeting here in this original sanctuary. And like so many of the guys on our team, you you came as a member. 
You did not. You did not come to join the staff. The staff opportunity came later, which I think is really cool. I, I recorded a podcast with our missions team, and both Jason, our missions pastor, and Andrew, our associate mission pa- missions pastor, came to our church as members and grew into that role. And you grew into your role. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And so when we think about our beginning, David, let's start from the very beginning. So here's what I've told people from the pulpit: in 1988, a retired pastor. Uh, started Anderson Mill Road Baptist Church in his living room. Now, within just a few weeks of that, they moved to a storefront shopping center, and that's when your family came. When you think about that, what do you remember most? Uh, probably remember most of uh, uh, some doubt in my mind of if I wanted to go to church in a shopping center. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, and we we struggled with that at the beginning. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, we it didn't we look asked, like a church. It didn't, and we you know our children were young. We said we need more organization, need more programs. And, uh, you know, we visited a couple of times, and we were still visiting some other churches, uh, but the Lord closed those doors, and a couple of them actually slammed yeah. uh, that, uh, that we didn't need to be there. And, and then we came to the, to the very clear realization, Vicki and I did, that uh, uh, this is where the Lord wanted us to be. Hmm. Uh, my parents were already here. Uh, I think Vicky's mother was already here. Yeah. Uh, and we were, but uh, we came to uh, that conclusion, this is where we needed to be. Talk about those days. I mean, when you walked into that little storefront, I've seen pictures of it, and it was kind of interesting because the founding pastor, Reverend Floyd Loudermilk, um, he he was he was a retired Southern Baptist pastor. You know, so this is not, uh, and I think his family would agree with this. I certainly don't mean this uh, in any way other than a description. You know, we're not talking about a forward-thinking, innovative church planner. We're talking about a traditional Southern Baptist pastor who loved people well. And at that time, the west side of Spartanburg was the place where new growth was coming, and the local Baptist Association knew there needed to be another congregation. And so you guys start, of course, in their living room. Within a few weeks, they ran a store uh, front, and I think they bought a set of secondhand pews mm-hmm. and had a pulpit. And uh, so you walked in a storefront, and it turned into a Southern Baptist church. But talk about what it was like in those days. It was exciting because you knew that uh, as the weekend approached, you were going to be here setting up a church. Yeah. I mean, because some of the rooms that we had were permanent. We could leave them set up. Yeah. Some of the others, we had a barber shop that we used for a Sunday school class. We had a <laughs> restaurant that we used for a Sunday school class. Uh, we had a couple other places that the the tenants there would allow us to use yeah. uh, their thing. So it was exciting to do that. Uh, and then after service on Sunday night, you're cleaning those places back up. Had to bring so it So they down. can go back into business on, on Monday morning. Uh, so it was an exciting time. You know, it was a time that uh, um, you had to tolerate a lot of change and a lot of different things happening. I mean, I think the first nursery was behind a lattice panel in the back of the sanctuary, <laughs> you know, where there were two or three kids back <laughs> not there. Not a very good sound not, barrier. Not a good sound barrier. But, uh, but you know, everybody had a great spirit, a wonderful spirit. And uh, and I think even then there was a sense of that God had something planned yeah. uh, for this place. It was um, because as you grew and and you moved from one building to the next in the shopping center, and then we took over more and more spaces in the shopping center. You know, you you begin to sense that you begin mm. to see that uh, He was bringing people here for a reason. Yeah, uh, and uh, that was that was probably the, the our biggest takeaway from those times is that as hard as it was sometimes. Yeah. As as hard as it is, uh, sometimes the air conditioning not working, the plumbing mm-hmm. 
which Woodruff is experiencing some now, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know it, it's worth it. It's worth those times. Yeah, it's been fun as we've expanded to two two campuses besides our central. Both of those are relatively young. A lot of the same challenges they're facing. Our folks who've been here from the beginning say, "Yep, we remember that. <laughs> we remember what that was like." Now, if you fast forward, you know, within just a couple of years, that congregation. Of course, you got to remember late eighties. Um, that congregation. Uh, really knew it would be important to have a place. You know, a piece of property doesn't make you a church, but people associate their church with a place. They can go and worship. All my buddies that plant churches and tell me they'll never build a building always end up needing a building about a decade in because they realize how important that is. And so there was an effort early on to try to find a piece of property. In fact, today uh, we're sitting on the original campus, which is seven acres uh, down Anderson Mill Road, thus the name, Talk about what you remember in acquiring that property. Well, I remember the hesitancy on the part of the seller was to sell the property. Mm -hmm. uh, they owned a good bit of property here, and there was just a hesitancy among that family. And I remember us praying for the land. We looked at other land on Anderson Mill Road. We looked at land on Reval Road, uh, but never really felt uh, a piece about that land. Mm. Uh, but as we prayed more and more, then finally the, the owner of this property Agreed to sell it. Yep. Um, at a very nice price mm -hmm. um, for both parties. Right. Uh, and you know, we, and, and we stepped out in faith and, and purchased it. Uh, it was um, it was it was a major step. It was a major step because you're talking about a church with zero credit history, mm -hmm. zero track record. And one of the stories I love the most is uh, when the founding pastor and several of you were you in on the trip to Nashville. Mm -hmm. You guys took a a Winnebago mm -hmm. to Nashville, which for Southern Baptists, that's Mecca. They went to Nashville to the Baptist convention there to meet with an architect, a consultant about building a building. And if I, if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, they basically looked at the budget, they looked at the size of the church, and they said, you have no, you have no business trying to build a building. And on the way back, stopped at a rest area, and at a picnic table, the original pastor, Reverend Floyd, said, Guys, I really believe that God wants us to build this building. Is that, is that did I get that yeah, right? That's right? And and the, you know, against all odds, yeah. Um, the banks, you know, said, "Hey, you have no credit history, right? Uh, you have no uh, equity, yeah, for us to loan." But uh, we had a, a a banker that was a member of the church, Jim Cantrell, mm -hmm. uh, that was able to pull a few strings. And I remember clearly the first time we borrowed money as far as buying the land or our building, the building we're in now. Uh, the deacons co-signed the note. Think about that. We co-signed the note with for your personal credit. Our personal credit. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so, you know, when people think about giving or stepping out on faith, I, I, I know I've never had to co-sign a loan that Church at the Mill got, mm -hmm. and yet that's the only way you guys could do it. And through a lot of volunteer labor, you guys built the facility that, interestingly, even though we have amassed a beautiful campus with state-of-the-art facilities at our central location, we still use the original building. In fact, for those of you listening in, uh, David and Gene and I are sitting in the original pastor's office. That's still mm -hmm. my office today. We mm -hmm. use this building every single day. We have weddings and funerals in the chapel. We have small groups meeting here. And it's kind of cool that Though it was built in late 1988 and moved into in 1989, it's still serving the church well. Now, fast forward, Reverend Floyd Loudermilk, who was the founding pastor, uh, very quickly realized this thing went from zero to 
a couple of hundred people pretty quickly. And he had already retired once, had some health challenges. And so then, then you call your second pastor, Reverend Don Siegel. And, and, then, and then there's a time there of growth, but also of difficulty. In fact, I'm the fourth pastor. And uh, you know there've been some there've been some battles there've been some crossroads there've been some difficulties I don't think uh, it would be respectful of our hearers to hide that to recognize that the church at the mill has been through those growing pains that many churches go through you know people divided over particular issues leaders for a lot of different reasons uh, coming and and going when you think about those dark times how did you see God remain faithful even when perhaps the church lost its way. I think always in all the ups and downs of, of, of Church at the Mill, there's always been a strong core group of believers who really felt God's calling that this place needed to be a special place. It needed to be here. Mm. And I think even during those dark times, those hard times, those people's influence on, on so many of us that at the time were younger, yeah, uh, and and not in a, a leadership position, but felt that they were the ones that we needed to follow. They did, they were following God. We needed to to step in line with them. Yeah, and so we you know we we measured our success not so much by numbers, but by the spirit and by the 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 direction of the church. Yeah, of people continuing to want to move. You know, there was there was a joke at the time for a time we. We measured our success by how many times we moved the back wall of the sanctuary. You know, when with the good times we had to move it back for more people, and bad times we move it back up. So you, you had you moved it uh, many many times. Yeah. But uh, I think the the through the good and the bad, and there was always that that strong core people, and most of those people are with the Lord now. Uh, I think about your parents. Yeah. You know, I I can't help but think of two people that uh, that epitomize our church more than them, and I, I just think about. What I remember about those people, because those people, we were joking earlier, you guys are full of a lot of energy and you serve our church very faithfully. Uh, but when I came to be pastor 20 years ago, those people were at the tail end of their lives. Mm-hmm. So some of them have been gone for a couple decades now. But we, if you rerun back to the late 80s, early 90s, they were you know, in their late 50s, 60s, and 70s, and very much patriarchs and matriarchs of the church. And that's the word you used, I think, um, describes them well. They were just faithful. Very faithful. It, it, was, it was not about um, a competition. Uh, when, when leaders served them well, they were faithful. When, when leaders went through difficulties and failed, these core people, you know, were, were faithful. And God honored that. And they were faithful from all walks of life. I was thinking last night of, of some of the people that basically had worked in Arcadia Mills all their lives. Oh, blue-collar folks. Blue-collar people that even after they came when they could not attend services, they would always call, I need you to pick up my tithe when mm. my check comes in. Mm. Uh, when we would approach something toward you know, painting or carpet or just needed to do something, they were always there. It, it it was just amazing the faithfulness yeah. of people from the whole spectrum of, of, of economics, of, of people in their walks. That's but right. Primarily you had a really strong nucleus of people that were spiritually mature and, and helped a lot of us that at the time maybe were not um, mm. move forward. I love that so much because I'm so grateful for the really innovative stuff we do now when we plan a church. There's all kinds of resources to do demographic studies. Mm-hmm. There's people who specialize in helping churches locate the proper real estate. There's a 
a library full of books on which model works best. But when you look back at the history of Anderson Mill Road Baptist Church, there's no demographic no, study. No. There's no traffic study. No. It was a group of people who said, our community needs another church, and we want to love people and encourage people. You know, one of my favorite stories is told by one of our members. Um, he, he, uh, he was not in church, and he was a beer salesman. <laughs> and uh, and Pastor Floyd came to see him and said, "You need to be back in church." And uh, he said, "Pastor, I, I believe." He said, "But I'm I'm the number one beer salesman in this county." Mm-hmm. He said, "I and I just don't think I I'd be welcome in your Baptist church." And and Floyd told him, he said, "Well, well, son, you you get right with the Lord, and we'll cross that bridge later." He would come into the church, begin to grow spiritually, change careers, had a wonderful career as an insurance guy. But I always remember that because he was loved where he was mm. first, and then the gospel did the work in his life. And I, I love the fact that it's not one hero in the history of our church. It's a lot of people that the world would quantify as normal, mm-hmm. just just being faithful. That's very true. The faithfulness, I think, of the people is what, as you said, every church has its dark side. Every church sure. has a problem. But through those times, it was the faithful faithfulness of those people that kept us moving forward. And, and even when the world said you can't do it, the people said, no, we won't save the land. The bank said, no, we won't loan you the money. Mm. It was says, no, this is what God wants us to do yeah. and, and move forward. Well, Gene, let's talk about your journey in. So now, obviously, you are the shepherd and the pastor to a very important part of our congregation. And I know people know us by our young families, our commitment to the next generation, but we we, we don't have a, a group of senior adults uh, that we just uh, love on. We have a robust army of people who serve our church faithfully. Sure. I mean, David taught last night on our campus, Young Men, the Bible, and, and I shared in a recent podcast about uh, a guy in our church named Tommy who's 80 years old and was teaching Sunday school to— older adults and got convicted and now he teaches in our middle school ministry because he wants to impact the next generation. And so you you lead a incredibly energetic, wise group of people. Now you didn't start out as the leader of our senior adult ministry. You started out as a husband and a father, raised still sure. raising your kids when you came in. How did you come in and how did you find Anderson Mill Road Baptist Church when you showed up? Well it's an interesting story. I think the thing that amazes me is the faithfulness of the people. My mother in law and father in law were both blue collar People, yeah, and they grew Jim up. And Mary. They grew. They grew up and and attended assemblies of God churches. Yeah. Very faithful yeah. in that in those churches. Sure, uh, they attended here one Sunday and never looked back. <laughs> oddly enough, and it was because they were coming here. We came to honor Miss Shelton Nana, as we lovingly still refer to oh, her. Oh yeah, I, I remember her well. Oh yeah, and and Papa Mister Shelton, who will be ninety three this, this it's still going Christmas and still going. But but during those times, we came to honor her for Mother's Day, and we had been in a couple of other larger churches, faithful members, mm-hmm. uh, working a little bit, but but not in real deep, if you will, and just coming here and feeling the camaraderie and the the genuineness of the people that uh, that really loved on us the, that that Sunday, yeah, and and then we we got involved in a small group, Sunday mm. school group, yeah. downstairs, yeah. as a matter of fact, in the basement, in the basement. And it was because of that. I mean, there's there's so many things. I just jotted down some bullet points, which we don't have time for me to tell you all mm-hmm. of them today. 
But it was amazing. We got involved in a small group that loved on us. They were doing missions. It's a downtown rescue shelter. I think and you ended up with a daughter out of we, that deal. We ended up we ended up with a daughter, <laughs> our youngest daughter. <laughs> you adopted uh, a little girl from the shelter. That's right, who is now 23 years old. Mm-hmm. And so all of our family at that time were greatly involved here at, at the church. Yeah. And then one thing led to another. We were involved in that small group. Um, some folks asked me would I teach a Sunday or two, and I did. And from there, I guess that holy itch to teach. Yeah, and fell in love with teaching the Word of God. Yeah. And, and you guys got kicked out of the basement. You ended up in a mobile trailer, didn't you? Affectionately known as the Ten Tabernacle. I, I, it was here when I became pastor, the Ten. Gene Pace and the Ten Tabernacle. That's what I heard. A lot of misbehavior out there in that Ten Tabernacle, I'm sure. Well, what, what happened in the Ten Tabernacle stayed in the Ten Tabernacle. <laughs> That's actually not true. <laughs> so you're teaching Sunday school and, and raising your family, and God yeah. begins to call you to ministry. Call me into ministry. I fought it for a whole year. Yeah. Uh, finally talked to some folks that were involved in the church and said, this is what God's doing. And I remember coming to speak with you. I remember the things that you shared with me that day. And yeah. then... Um, you're, on your advice, you said, well, you know, it'd probably be good if you're really going to do this thing to pursue a seminary degree, yeah. which I did. Yeah, you did. And um, God was so faithful. I was licensed in this church. I was ordained in the what we now call the chapel. That's right. You led that ceremony, uh, a day that I will never, ever forget. Mm. And I look back on that with fond memories. Pastored a church for two years. Yeah. Came back here. The church had exploded in the two years I was gone, and quite frankly, we felt a little out of place. Sure. And and yet God continued to draw us back here. <clears throat> yeah. And um, I was doing chaplaincy and retired from that, and then the next thing you know, I'm asked, would you be interested in, yeah. in, in working here? That's right. And I don't call it work, DJ. I really and truly don't. Well, David and I, we can call a meeting and stop paying you if you want us to. But I think Pam, your wife, would appreciate that. That's a podcast for another day. I'm sure it is. Well, you know, I paid you years ago to be a part of our team. And for me, it was a lot about timing and seeing where that is. But I do think that there is a special relationship between honoring and mobilizing senior adults. Not just honoring, mobilizing. Mm -hmm. You know, I often say the senior adults in my church have more time and more wisdom and more money than they've ever had. Now, that doesn't mean they make a lot of money, but they've, they've raised their kids. Most of them have kind of got on the other side of their mortgage. And so they have more time, more wisdom, and more resources. So you're, you're foolish not to mobilize them. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you they can't do what they always could do, but I would argue I've seen them do some amazing stuff. Sure. But there's a strong relationship between honoring that generation and keeping up the pulse of our heritage. David, do you ever think about, you know, and I'm, I'm trying not to get emotional, but what your mom and dad, you know, what what people like them would think if they could see what the Lord's done? Yeah, many times I wondered, you know, because I knew the love that they had for the Lord, not, mm. not necessarily here, but wherever they would serve. And they oh, had yeah. served in other places, but uh, the excitement that they would see, you know, and, and, and you know, sometimes you think, okay, does the Lord open a little window and let them look to see what's going on? Here? Wouldn't I, put I, it past him. Wouldn't put it past him. Say, look, <laughs> this looks good. But uh, yeah, and then there's so many other people too that are, that are still with us. I mean, the Harold Brocks, the Joyce Lyles, these Malin people Bailey's. that Malin Bailey, Robert these Dial. people, Robert Dial, that that you know you you they're 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 the in the twilight of their lives, but you, you know you really think, man, you know, you you were faithful. You did the you helped do this. You you follow the Lord. And, yeah. uh, you know, every year when I, when I 
get a new group of second grade boys at midweek, you know, I take a picture of all of them in the indoor playground yeah. and I send it to, to Harold, Harold yeah. Brock, because yeah. through his faithfulness, they have, have the children. Playground. That's right. And uh, send it to him. And, I, and it never fails. I get a phone call from him about just, he never realized the impact it would have. Oh, yeah. And uh, it does. And it's just, you know, but you think of those people, think of them finally. Uh, and, but you, you know, they're having a whole lot better day than we are. You oh, know, yeah. They're, 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 but I just, I just, uh, you know, I wish you they could see it. That's right. Well, and I often think, um, <clears throat> if anything, it reminds me, you and I can only imagine what the Lord's going to do 50 and 60 and 80 years from now. So my job and our job, let's just be faithful the way they were faithful mm-hmm. and see what, and see what he might do. You know, I, I think about when I came here uh, 20 years ago, which is crazy to me to think of, 20 years ago, you know, the, the people who were 70 then, and 70 still, my, my dad turned 70 this year, and he's headed to a mission trip in India. He's playing golf. He's, he's very active. Um, you know, um, some of my most active and vibrant church members are 70. Yet the people that were 70 when I moved here, they're 90 now. The ones that are still with us, many of them are with the Lord, and uh, you know, to me, it's just an incredible thing to appreciate that none of us accomplish anything without a generation that went before us mm-hmm. and that did something faithful. In 1988, I was an 11-year-old kid growing up in another state, mm-hmm. and and Floyd and Sarah Loudermilk had no idea who I was. I had no idea who they were, but I. You know, only history tells us how much their decision and the people in that living room and the people in those services early on impacted the rest of our lives. It's a pretty, it's a pretty remarkable mm-hmm. thing. Now, Gene, when you think about going from being a visitor to being a member to being a member of the staff, what what has survived history? In other words, there's so many changes. I mean, you know, from a church of 30 people to a church of who knows, four or 5,000 at this point. There's a lot of changes that happen, but I also think there's some common DNA that we've held on to. What, what, what comes to your mind when you think about that? What makes us us and has made us us historically? I think it all rests on the faithfulness of God. And, and DJ, what I have seen is as we are faithful, He's always faithful even when we're not. That's right. But but it's the faithfulness, like David was talking about, it's the faithfulness of the people seems to prompt God opening up heaven a little bit more and pouring things out. Mm. And so it's a it's a reciprocal kind of thing, if you will. We don't we aren't faithful so that he will be because he's going to be regardless. That's right. But it's the faithfulness of the people continuing to pour into other people, doing the hard things, getting up early, staying up late, moving those chairs so yep. that so that all of us can now enjoy what God is doing in our in our church. Well, when I go to a deacons meeting or a pastors council meeting, uh, but both of you have served as deacons here, but you've also obviously now, David, you serve as on my pastors council, uh, and you were a part of the very first deacons. I, I don't walk into a group of men uh, who are heavy handed and long for the power of making decisions. Rather, I walk into a group of men that I wouldn't make a decision without asking them their wisdom and insight because they love Jesus. But secondly, I walk into a group of men who are tired because they've already been serving. You know, they, they, they've been teaching second grade boys. They've been helping manage a, a construction project. They've been driving a golf cart on the parking team. 
And so, you know, I've, I've seen churches struggle that as people age and they have a lot of wisdom and experience, they tend to equate that with, I should have most of the influence. But this church made an indelible mark on my life. When it saw God call me, mm-hmm. um, I didn't call me. The church affirmed it. But when God called me, I, I would not have made it were it not for the support of the people who'd, who'd always been here. You know, I, I remember uh, you mentioned Malin Bailey earlier. I remember one of the earliest changes I made that seems so minute now, but but 20 years ago was to just fool a little around a little bit with our calendar and, and and try to be creative with how we use Sunday nights. And there was some pushback, you know, there there was a there was generation there that felt like you needed a service Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, or you weren't a church. And the truth is we have now thousands on our campus on Wednesday nights. And and I would say in the hundreds on Sunday nights. So so I'm, I'm all about bringing people to church as often as it is good. At the same time, doing the exact same thing every single time the doors are open is a, is a great recipe to die, and a lot of churches have died. But I was making some changes that, that certainly were not ill-thought, flippant, or controversial. But some of the senior adults pushed back a little. And, and uh, I'll never forget, Malin uh, voiced some concerns in the most kind and respectful way. And, and after the meeting that evening, I called Malin as a young pastor, and, and I'll never forget, he said, son, I love you, and I support you, and I'm with you. You, you, you know, I, I just wanted you to know how some were feeling and, and where we love you. And, and that meant so much to me. And I think in looking back of the last 20 years, to me the real heroes are those people who were willing to say, we have a great history. We can't live in it, though. We've got to continue never to change our gospel, never to change the message, never move on. But we've got to reach the next generation. And I've often felt like the history of the church, you know, it didn't start in an orthodox way. It wasn't a brick building with a steeple 250 years ago. No offense. It was a bunch of people in the living room, a bunch of blue-collar folks, working hard folks, uh, who ended up in a storefront who then bought seven acres and then bought 20 more I didn't ever have to teach this church to embrace change. They've been having to evolve and change since day one. Have you not seen that, David? Oh, yeah, very much. I mean, we come from a generation that, you know, you didn't take up offer until you sang the doxology. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and and when Just As I Am was was the invitation. Every you, Sunday. You, you didn't go down to the second verse because you went on the first verse, they think you'd done something wrong. You know, so I had to, had to kind of learn to do that. They said, David's back down the front again on the first verse. You know, well, you got to straighten him out. Wait till the second yeah, wait the second If you verse. go on the fourth, you just yeah. want to eat. So you figure, I'll go so the pastor will dismiss. But it, the, the changes that in most cases were embraced uh, yeah. as we've gone through. And, and I remember, uh, to me, it was a very pivotal Sunday um, when the church really got a grip, a grip on missions. When we had a, we had an interim pastor, Robert Freeland, mm. a wonderful man of God, a man yes. that, that had was way ahead of his time in in mission work. But uh, you know, we had like a lot of little churches. We had put up the little thermometer up front uh, to show how much money we were giving to Lottie Moon. And, you know, we'd move it up to we had a we had a goal of maybe two or three thousand dollars, and yeah. we moved it up. And the the night it was one of the first nights that Pastor Freeland had been here. And uh, we moved up. We hit our goal. A man, we were slapping each other on the back, and he stood up in the pulpit, and he said, you ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Mm-hmm. 
He said, you ought to be ashamed if this church that God has blessed this much can do nothing more for missions than to give a little bit of your money. Mm. You need to be ashamed. Mm. And that's going to change. Mm. And it did. Mm. He led us into what is now an unbelievable uh, you know, missions uh, uh, section of our church that, that Jason and Andrew do such a great job with. Yeah. Um, but I think that was a turning point. When we came from, we went from being us and and doing what we do and patting ourselves on the back to realizing, whoa, we're here for a reason. You know, we've been commanded to go and tell tell the world, go and That's tell right. those people. Yeah. And I think that night was 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 a turning point uh, when we realized that. And I think from then on. There's still been bumps. There's still been hurdles. Sure. But I think, the by and large, we've stayed focused on that. And I think that's one reason that God has blessed us. Mm. I agree with you. I, th- I think I had the perspective of hearing those stories, and then I've lived 20 years of them as the pastor. But there are those turning points. You're right. I think about, you know, what predicated me coming, beloved pastor, difficult situation, uh, ch- churches without a leader, and uh, spent the better part of two years looking for a pastor. And by that point, this would have been, of course, in 2001, in 2002, in 2003, the church had grown. The church was several hundred. It was respected in the community. In fact, I remember when I first engaged the church's search committee, they talked about how people around town said, hey, you're the next breakout church. You're the next church that's going to do something significant. And we have wonderful churches in our community that had sort of set the example of what that could look like. And 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 then to sort of get to get to a place where you guys are without a pastor and every door seems to close. And the whole time, I don't know that the the church at large understands this, but the the fall that church at the mill lost uh, her pastor um was my first semester in seminary. And, and so for a two, two to two-and-a-half-year journey, this church is in Spartanburg looking for a pastor. Uh, and I'm, I'm down in seminary uh, just, just in the oven baking, just getting ready. And I remember one of the members, I, I don't even remember which one because it kind of came to me through several, but they said, you know, during that time it was hard. We didn't have a pastor, so we lacked direction, but we knew God had called us here, and we really I'll tell you where we went, DJ. We went on our knees, and we really decided, why are we here? Are we here to have a pastor? Are we here to baptize a certain number of people? Are we here to build a building? Or are we here because this God's called us to be the church in this community? In fact, years ago, I had nothing to do with this. When I came here, one of the slogans was, where broken hearts are mended. Mm-hmm. And I, I encountered a church that loved people, who, who may have felt at some point they were unlovable. And I'm convinced to call what was then a very young, inexperienced, unqualified guy, you had to have a lot of faith. DJ, can I, can I say something about that? Yeah. Because that was about the time we came right, right before that really hard time. Mm-hmm. And we were a part of that congregation. When David was talking about the church was growing, had to kind of back out a wall to put an extra 60 yeah, there was or some momentum. Yeah, there was some momentum. And the interesting thing was, I, I think where my wife and I were in the spiritual journey at that time, that was pivotal. And that's why this church, it will always be in my heart mm. because it would have been so easy to say, man, this church is facing problems. It's time to bail. 
And if there was something about the culture and the DNA of the people mm. here, mm. you could tell it was a very, very special place. Yeah. And and we stayed with it. I mean, we were, you know, we were kind of back row people, not really engaged except in a small group. But then to see how God would bring my next door neighbor was on the search committee. And mm. when he told me, we think we've identified your next pastor. And I said, when he told me, I said, there ain't no way. That's, <laughs> that's just not going to happen. Said, that's no what way. my mama said. <laughs> but, but, but honestly, but, but honestly, he even told me then, he said, there's something different. There's something different going on. And then, and then you came, God right. led you here. So it yeah. was just uh, to be on this whole journey. Yeah. You know, there's so many high water marks in my spiritual life personally, mm -hmm. in my marriage and in my family's life as well. Yeah. I think when we get to heaven, that's what we'll celebrate. We'll be thankful for the buildings and the parking lots and solving the sewage problems and <laughs> negotiating contracts. I mean, we'll be thankful for that. But what I think about is I, I, I think about, you know, your parents. I think about Mary and Buzzy. I think about people whose lives made an indelible mark on my life, a Sam Evett, a Jim mm -hmm. Simon. I think about so many, and I'm fearful to start listing names because I know I'll leave someone out, but I think it'll be the people. And now there's so many people whose lives are being impacted because a few people, you know, were faithful. And I just don't think you encounter one of those pivotal moments without taking a little inventory of the previous pivotal, pivotal mm -hmm. moments. So from a guy who certainly in the seat of being the senior pastor, you know, I'm living it, I'm breathing it, I'm thinking about it a lot. But from your perspective and in your generation, I'd like to end with this question. I'll, I'll give you both an opportunity to sort of address it. When you think about more than ever, and I'm not just talking about a, a financial commitment. Uh, of course, if you'd like to make yours publicly here, we'll, we'll get a record <laughs> of it. But when you think about more than ever and where we are, you know, what excites you the most as a person who you are at the phase of your life where you have a tremendous amount of experience and wisdom, you're enjoying the role of being fathers and husbands and grandfathers, you're still very much active. God has blessed you both with a measure of health. You have a lot of wisdom. You serve our church faithfully. But, you know, you're no longer 25 years old. You're no longer 35 years old. You're no longer 45. When you are at your point in life and you look at this church, what excites you the most about more than ever? I think as you grow older and you look back at the people and the times in your life that impacted you, mm. uh, those leaders that in a, in, a, in a small church, you know, with RAs on Wednesday night, yeah, you know, that would show up after working eight and ten hours in the meal, in the meal, yeah. and they will be there to help you. And I, and I and I feel more of a an urgency. That, that we need that type of commitment again. We need that type of commitment. Yeah. And I see that. Um, I'm very encouraged. I see that with with a lot of the young families in our church. Uh, I see them coming and not only bringing their families, but they're involved. They're they're taking roles. They're you know helping parking lots. They're driving uh, golf carts. They're doing small groups. Mm. But I, I think uh, that the more than ever, um, this world's a mess. It's bad. This world's a mess. Um, and and I, I I worry about kids, about grandkids, about mm. the kids that I teach, uh, about your kids. I, I worry about all of those. But you know, then I got to worry about you know, hey, God's in control. Yeah, God is sovereign. Yeah, He's going to see us through this. Yes. We've got to be faithful and follow Him. Yes, we've got to provide the leadership 
We've got to provide the sacrifice, both in time mm. and financial. Mm. Uh, provide that time to get for this community, for these children, yeah. for this world to move forward. Now I know we can, only, you know, you say we can only impact so many people in this area, but you know, uh, we can go a long way. Yeah, when can. you're talking about four and five and six thousand people, you, you're taking out in. And, and reaching someone else, you can go a long way. You can go a long way. And, and so I think that it's it's critical that that journey that many of us that are the older older we have gone through the journeys of a vision, a clear vision that's been set out by the leadership of the church that we needed to do something, and then we had to to pull in behind them and sacrifice to do that. Yeah, I think we've got a large number of our members now that. Are willing to do the same thing. Yeah, they're willing. They just need to be made aware. So it's on us. It's to mobilize on us them. to make to mobilize them. It's on us to let them be aware. Say, okay, this is where what we need to do. This is what it's going to take to do it. You know, you can't get comfortable of just coming and sitting mm-hmm. on Sunday morning and and you know dropping your kids off and getting a, a free break. Right. You know, you've you've got to step up. You've got your part. You've got to do. And I, and I I feel like that's what this is going to do. I think this journey uh, in reading the. Guidelines and, and and reading your your uh, your readings and the, and the small group studies, I think that if people will look at that as a personal challenge, yeah, not just something. Well, we're a good church. Somebody needs to do this. Look at it as a personal challenge. Yeah, what do I need to do? That's right. I need to step up. I need to do this. Yeah, it's tough. You know, I would rather you know drop my kids off at midweek and yeah. go somewhere else. Sure. But if I need to be working, then I need to be working. So we've yeah. all got to accept that challenge, and I, and that's. That's what excites me because I see that happening, and I think this journey uh, that we're going through is going to open that window for more and more. Increase people. the scale. It's going to increase it. it. It's going to increase it. Hmm. Gene, man, I tell you what, DJ, I, I, as I sit here and think about the impact you've had on my life, the impact that David has had on my life. David and I have a long, long history, even outside of this church, because our daughters used to dance together. But, but, and I'm not trying to brag on him, but my almost ten-year-old grandson came to know Christ about three years ago. Mm. And part of the reason he did is because of the influence of David and people mm. like him, our That's senior right. adults have had in his life. Mm. And I think about the fact that I have been, I am a participant, but because I have been so blessed and am, and am the recipient of our senior adults, not just our senior adults, but people who pour into my five-year-old grandson on yep. Sunday morning and my 10-year-old grandson on Wednesday evening and Sunday morning, and see the fact that that one of one of my daughters became a believer because mm. of Miss Joanne Harrelson and mm. her influence in her life. Yes. And when mm. I think about those things, I'm going, it, it it's not a sense of obligation. It's not a sense of obligation. Mm. But how could I not embrace more than ever? Because seriously, more than ever, I have been blessed more than yeah. ever. And I think about the fact that, and David and I were just chatting about this, my 10-year-old grandson is going to be baptized next month, and I will have the pleasure of baptizing him here mm. in this mm. church because he wants to make people know. Amen. But but when I look at that, I'm going— What a gift. You know, what what a gift that, that is. And so there's every reason for us to embrace more than ever. Yeah, well, I so appreciate both of you. David, you know what you meant to me in my life, and there's a whole lot we could talk about, uh, but uh, there was one, one moment where through a lot of different circumstances, I, I I really had to shore up, am I the person to continue to lead our church or does mm-hmm. God call me to another church? And you were with me in that uh, eight years ago now and God used you in 
two other men to come alongside me. And, um, you know, I won't think about my pastoral ministry without without thinking about you. I, I try not to picture your face. Yeah, that, that is yeah, good. You know, I try, yeah, I'm, I'm glad this is a podcast <laughs> and not a video. It's exactly. Yeah. You, you and I have faces for podcasts, don't we? We can't all be as good looking as Gene. But yeah. uh, but the thing is, I, I just, I'm so grateful that the greatest leaders in my church are also my dearest friends. And then, Gene, when I watch you go from being a a church member who had the privilege of pastoring to answering God's call, and then we became peers, I supported you as you went out and pastored a church, and then you came back into chaplaincy, and and then now you're a part of our team. I get to see you weekly. And I just think about God has truly been good to us. And, Mm -hmm. And both of you really nailed it, you know. It's not about relishing in it. It's about saying we're responsible to do something with this opportunity. I mean, we we know people your age and my age who love the Lord Jesus, and they're in dying churches mm-hmm. that that are anemic. There is that the God is that He's not moving among them for a number of different reasons, but but they don't have the resources or the ability to impact tens of people, much less thousands. I do not believe that God loves those people any less than he loves us. And I certainly don't believe we have of a monopoly on him. We're all reading the same book. We all have the same Savior. But by God's grace, he's given us this window of opportunity. And I do think it's a window. And I want us to take advantage of it. If you're listening to this podcast and you've kind of gone down memory lane with us, a couple of things I'd say to you. Number one, I hope it blesses your heart to just listen to the legacy of our church uh, two, we could never cover every moment, every year. It's a great story. We've actually produced a, a history book that's uh, available uh, here on our campus if you wanted a copy of it. But three, I hope you're just uh, re-reminded of the faithfulness of God. And as you, if you're a part of Church at the Mill, think about your more than ever commitment, both in your time and then, of course, your tithes and offerings and your commitment above and beyond that to help us become debt-free and to start more campuses. I hope you feel a sense of camaraderie that when you do join our church to do hard things, you're not the first generation to do it. I'm not the first pastor to do it. David and Gene aren't the first leaders to do it. There were men and women who came along before us who were being faithful, and there'll be men and women who will come along after us should the Lord tarry. We're just responsible for the faithfulness of God in this season. So, David, Gene, thank you very much. Thank you. For joining us. I hope those of you listening have enjoyed this podcast. Please tune in for more of our content as you follow this series called More Than Ever. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs>